So we are uh, in a, a little mini-series uh, from the book of 1 Peter. I'm calling it Be Different. And um, speaking of being different, if you want to go to the next slide, uh, this is a family photo of mine when I was about four or five years old. And my wife loves this picture um, because basically she thinks we all look pretty ridiculous. And um, it makes her laugh. So she just, of course, printed it out and put it up on the wall in her house so that everyone can laugh at it. But I'm the little boy wearing all purple in the picture. I think my mother must have picked out that outfit. Um, I was kind of a homely-looking little kid. My little league baseball coach called me Yoda, um, which at the time I had no idea who Yoda was. Now I know that it's not such a compliment to say that I look like an oblong-faced, bug-eyed toad, but that's a different sermon. Um, but we've all changed a lot in, since this picture. My siblings and I, we've all grown up. We've gotten married. We have kids. And probably the biggest change that's happened is that my father passed away uh, this past year, as some of you already know, after a long battle with bladder cancer. And uh, my father was a good man. Uh, he wasn't perfect, of course. He had his faults in character and as a parent, but uh, he was a good man. He was faithful. He was consistent, and he expressed his love to us in very practical ways. Um, when he was 65, my parents uh, retired, and they moved from New York, where I grew up, down to North Carolina in the Charlotte area. And um, a couple years back, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And uh, we thought he had beaten it. He'd gone into remission for a couple of years after undergoing kind of an experimental treatment. Uh, but when it returned... Uh, decided to undergo chemotherapy and um, eventually have his bladder removed because it was a very aggressive form of cancer. And um, after about six months of surgery and then after, or chemo rather, and then after his surgery, uh, he, he just never recovered. Um, the cancer seemed to have been gone, but he basically stopped eating and um, lost his strength, became very malnourished. He was in the hospital for several months Eventually, infections just kind of took over his body, and um, he was moved to hospice um, after several months of suffering, and after being in hospice, he died fairly quickly. Um, here is a picture of him at my wedding rehearsal, looking great. It's one of my favorite pictures of him. Uh, he looks happy, uh, but if you go to the next slide, here's a picture of him with my mom just before he passed away, and um, he had lost a ton of weight, and in many ways, looked unrecognizable to me. Um, and his death was obviously very hard for me. I miss him, uh, especially when I see, think about him or see pictures of him. Um, yesterday, I had the glorious job of resealing my driveway. <laughs> How many of you have ever done that? It's, it's a really messy job, right? Um, but all I could think of was memories of my dad growing up doing the same thing. Um, he would do it once a summer, and I remember watching him do it. Um, but when I see pictures of him, or think about him, especially when I see pictures of him towards the end of his life, it kind of feels like the air gets knocked out of my lungs. I don't know if you ever had that experience, or like you get a punch in the gut. Um, there's kind of like this hole or void. Um, when I think about his emaciated body, I, you know, I almost get physically nauseous from it. And for those of you who have lost someone close to you, you know how devastating death is. Uh, my faith was challenged during that season last year, and still is sometimes. 
Um, I realized I could say I believe in the resurrection, but it's another thing to say that when you're putting your parents' ashes in the ground. Would he rise again? And believing that took a whole new kind of faith. I, could realize, I realized I could say that God can heal and that he heals cancer, but when my father wasn't healed, I found myself asking, does he really? And if so, why didn't he heal my father? The reality with being a Christian is that sometimes our faith, the things we say we believe and the things we say we believe about God that are true of God and about following Jesus, sometimes these things simply don't line up with our experience of life. We can say God heals, but honestly, sometimes he doesn't. We can say that God is close and we can have an intimate relationship with him. But sometimes in life, he just feels so far away and it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. One of the things I love about the Bible and one of the reasons I continue to be a Christian is that the Bible's honest about that. The Bible's honest about the fact that sometimes our experience of life does not match up with what we say is true about God. The Bible doesn't ignore it. In fact, over and over again, it tells us stories of men and women who have to walk through seasons of life that can't easily be explained with Christian cliches or bumper sticker theology. Over the next several weeks, you know, we've been looking at 1 Peter, and 1 Peter was written by, of course, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and a leader in the early church. And Peter is writing to a group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey who are beginning to experience their own trials. They're experiencing scorn from their neighbors and alienation because of their new Christian faith. And some are beginning to experience much worse. They're being arrested and jailed, and eventually some will be even executed for their faith. You know, when Jesus came and promised and said, I've come to give you life, and life, abundant life, life to the full at that, few probably imagined that that is what he meant. How are these Jesus followers supposed to reconcile the promises of God with the reality of life that is becoming more and more difficult every day? How are these new Christians supposed to stay committed to live lives of love and service and holiness? Lives where they no longer fit in with their families or their friends or the culture they live in. Lives where they feel like, as Peter wrote in the opening verses, feel like exiles in their own land. Lives where they're live being different? How do they keep doing that when turning their back on their faith? It seems like it almost might be easier. Now, I realize that none of us here in the United States are facing imprisonment or execution because of our faith, thankfully. But nevertheless, I think some of us can relate a bit to what's going on in these early churches, especially as residents of Vermont. We live in the least churched, least religious, least Christian state in the nation. In a state known for its far-left politics and sexual liberalism, following Christ and his intentions for our lives, our relationships, our bodies, 
doing that is going to make us feel at times a bit different. Being labeled an evangelical Christian in our state can almost be like an insult these days. <laughs> uh, here is how millennials view the Christian faith. It's hard to see. I'll read it out. 16% of millennials, so that's these young people sitting right here in the front. They don't feel this way about you, but 16% of millennials have a favorable view of Christianity. And only 3% of American millennials have a favorable view of evangelicals. 87% say we're judgmental. 85% say we're hypocritical. 78% say we're old-fashioned. 75% said we're too involved in politics. And 91% say Christianity is primarily anti-homosexual. Chances are you are going to experience moments when you feel like you don't quite fit in with the world around you and our culture. When you're kind of like an exile in your own home. Maybe when it's a conversation with a coworker turns to the latest political scandal. And there are lots of them these days. <laughs> or when friends or family uh, drink a bit too much and they begin gossiping and slandering a neighbor or an acquaintance. Or maybe it's when your neighbor sees you coming out of your door on a Sunday morning and asks you where you're going and you pause just a moment before saying to church <laughs> because you're not quite sure what their response will be. Whatever it is, there will be times when you might feel like a bit of an exile in your own culture, when turning your back on your faith or at least hiding it might feel a bit more comfortable and safe. And you might find yourself asking, where is God in all of this? When will he come through for us? When will we be rewarded for our faith rather than mocked for it? How do we find the strength to be faithful in a culture like ours? And this is how Peter answers that question. This is 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3. He writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance as kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Peter, in his letter, has basically one basic answer for the difficulties of their Christian faith right now, and that's hope. 
And it's not hope in the sort of airy-fairy, I hope I win the lottery one day sort of way. <laughs> Instead, it's, a, it's hope and conviction and assurance rooted in the fact that Jesus, even though he was dead, is now alive. Normally when people die, they stay dead. <laughs> and it, it's not just us smart, modern, peop, scientific people who understand that, right? Everyone throughout time knows that when people die, they usually stay dead. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, Peter says, we can trust him. That no matter what's happening in life right now, no matter how hard life is, no matter how many trials you're facing, you can have hope. Because you have an inheritance waiting for you. An inheritance. In Peter's day, in the Greco-Roman world, your inheritance was everything. Uh, there was not the kind of social mobility that we experience today. Your social, socioeconomic status was kind of baked in to the family that you were born into. So women, who in most cases could not be educated or own property, um, they, they had no hope of changing their socioeconomic status. There was no inheritance for women at all. And men, they were reliant upon receiving an inheritance from their, their parents, from their fathers. Um, in fact, families who did not have a male child would often adopt one as a person to pass along their inheritance to. You needed a male heir to give your wealth to. In fact, some scholars believe that Peter is writing to churches where people, where Christians are actually being disinherited because of their faith. And that would have been financially devastating. That would have, that would have been meant losing everything, at least from a financial perspective. But Peter writes to these young Christians, men and women, which is remarkable, men and women, that they have an inheritance waiting for them. As Christians, they are now part of God's new family. No matter their sex, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their station in life, no matter their past, whether they're men or women, Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, slave or free, they are now sons and daughters of God. They are part of God's family. And Peter says this changes everything. No matter how hard things may get right now, Peter writes, you can endure it. You can survive it. You can hang on because you know that you are now part of God's family and you have an inheritance waiting for you. You can look forward to one day when you will receive God's full inheritance as his son or his daughter. Being part of a family, knowing where you belong, knowing where you've come from, knowing where you're going, Knowing where home is. Knowing where home is. It makes all the difference in our lives. Um, students kind of laugh at me because I like to show a clip from a movie once a year. And um, it's one of my favorite movies. And now it's starting to get old. As I get older, the movie's getting older. Um, but it's based on a true story. 
Um, and the movie's called Antoine Fisher. Has anyone ever seen that before? Oh, a few of you. Okay, great, fantastic. So it's based on a true story. It's about a young uh, black man in the Navy named Antoine Fisher. And at the start of this movie, this guy is full of anger and violence. He's always getting into fights and trouble. But as the movie progresses, you begin to find out why. Um, his father, for example, was gunned down by his, girl, his girlfriend, his mother, uh, two months before he was born. So his mother was in prison when she gave birth to him. And she handed him over to the foster care system. And in fact, even when she got out of prison, she never went to find him. She never attempted to get him back. He lived in, Antoine lived in foster families where he was physically and sexually abused. Uh, his best friend, the one person who was constant in his life, his faithful friend, was gunned down as a teenager in a convenience store robbery. So Antoine's whole life was marked by alienation, rejection, pain. Antoine is, in the truest sense, an orphan. But then Denzel Washington comes along, and you know it's going to get good, right? Denzel Washington is a psychologist and helps this young man, Antoine, come to the realization that if, if he's ever going to move on, if he's ever going to um, become whole again, if he's ever going to be free to, to find real love and to, to have meaningful relationships with other people, then he needs to find his family. He needs to know about where he came from, who he belongs to. So Antoine goes on this journey, and eventually he starts, just starts calling through phone books. And, and finally, he finds an aunt of his in Cleveland, and she invites him over the next day. And I have a clip here of what happens when he arrives for uh, his aunt's house.
坑。Is writing to these Christians that we have something to look forward to. That no matter what we've done, the mistakes we've made, the people we've hurt, the regrets we have, we have hope. No matter what we've been through or what has been done to us, we have hope. No matter how hard this life is or how much we might even have to suffer at times because of our faith. We have hope. One day, we will have a permanent place at God's dinner table. We will sit down at God's feast as heirs to his good gifts. And it will be God himself who will place his hands on our cheeks and in a slow and deliberate voice, say to us, Welcome. Being a part of family, being part of God's family, changes everything. I want to tell you about a friend of mine named Darren. Darren, I met his freshman year of college. A mutual friend had suggested I invite him to the Bible study I was leading. leading. Um, and so I stopped by his room a few times in his dorm. He was never there, so I left him a note. And uh, remarkably, he showed up to the next Bible study with a group of guys. And Darren was incredibly quiet and shy. Uh, he would not talk in this small group. He was one of those guys, even if you looked directly at him and asked him a question, he would not talk. Um, but he kept coming, and he came with us when we decided one week to have a barbecue at a lake. Um, but the thing about Darren was he would not go near the water at this park. He would stay as far away as possible. Um, I know some people don't like to swim. People are afraid of the water, but Darren wouldn't even get close to it. As we got to know Darren and his story, all of this began to make a bit of sense Darren, as a young child, was physically abused by his father. Uh, his father, who suffered from some kind of mental illness, and when he'd get angry or upset, would abuse him and his sister. In fact, sometimes out of anger, um, his dad would take Darren while he was having a bath and hold him under the water. When Darren um, was later in elementary school, his mom took him and his sister and left in the middle of the night. And they moved across the country. In fact, they moved every single year after that. And so Darren, having moved every year of his life, began to believe that it did not matter if he was around or not. People didn't notice. People didn't care. But what was amazing was that the guys 
in this small group. They loved him so well. They accepted him, even when he was quiet and wouldn't talk, even when he had quirks, like he wouldn't go near the water. They would invite him to dinner, to movies, to parties, whatever it was. They, they included Darren. He became part of our Chi Alpha family. And the amazing thing was to watch him come alive and be changed. He began to believe that people did care that it did matter if he was there or not. And as his faith and his friendships deepened, he was changed remarkably. Uh, In fact, in college, he began leading one of our small groups. He eventually became one of the guys who went around inviting and asking and mentoring other men in faith. Um, He worked one summer at a royal family kids camp, which is a, a camp for abused and neglected kids. And he, basically he was kind of an older brother to a young kid that was sort of his mentee for the week. And uh, one of the, my favorite things was seeing a picture of Darren and his little brother swimming in a lake, playing together. Darren is now a teacher, elementary school teacher. And one time I asked him, you know, why, why teach elementary school? Um, my son this year has a, a male kindergarten teacher, but they're kind of rare at the elementary level. And so I said, no, why, why teach? And basically he said he wanted kids to know the love of Christ that he never knew as a kid. Well, Darren got married, and he is a dad now. And here's a picture of him and his little boy, Jude. And this past spring, on his first Father's Day, Darren posted this on Facebook. I want to read it to you. He wrote, I love that my Abba Father does not make empty promises. He is the best gift giver. The same yesterday, today, and forever. God the Father stays present in my life. This day has brought up past wounds for me. I can think of why right fast. All the yelling, the pain of abuse, feeling fatherless, hiding to get safe, and the confusion of mental illness. I could just hardly swallow all of this as a kid. I'll still call my dad and listen and hear of his current adventure, though he's not, he's not met his grandson. I keep forgiving him. Through my own son Jude, I can see ways God's continuing to heal me. It's new life. And we both get to grow closer to the good, good father together. Darren now knows what it means to be part of God's family. He now knows what it means to be a son of our heavenly father. And that's changed everything for him. Even in his pain and the work he has to do to work through his past, He has hope. He knows he has an inheritance. If I could have the musicians come up. This morning, I want to encourage you to discover in a deeper way the joy that comes from our hope. 
in this community, in our little bit of God's family here this morning. Life doesn't have to be hidden. You don't have to deny what you're going through. Life can be hard sometimes. And for some of us, life is harder than anyone else in this room could even understand. But because of Jesus, we can all be adopted into God's family. We can know what it means to be loved and accepted. We can know what it means to be welcomed, to sit at his table, to have him put his hands on our cheeks and say, welcome. We can know what it means to have hope that one day we'll receive an inheritance, that no matter what we're going through now, our trials, our suffering, our pain, our shame, all of it will be replaced one day with joy, when all things are made new, when all pain has ceased, when all disease has ended, when rejection and scorn are replaced with love and acceptance, when God himself promises to wipe every tear from our eyes. We're going to sing one last song this morning. We sang it earlier. And I want to encourage you to join in and to make it a prayer. I'm going to also ask um, the prayer team to come. And maybe you're going through something really hard right now. And, and God just seems nowhere in sight. Maybe there's something going on with your family or your work. Maybe your faith. Maybe you're going through some, some temptations or trials. And it's really hard to keep going. I want to encourage you to let us pray with you or for you. I want to encourage you to allow other people in this family to speak, to pray, to have hope for you, to have faith for you, even if you don't right now. One of the wonderful things about family, meaning this family, is that we have the ability and the opportunity to give one another just a taste, a very small taste, but a taste nonetheless of what it will be like one day to enjoy our inheritance with our Heavenly Father. And so I want to encourage you to do that for one another to give it, to receive it, to be that for each other as we, as we just go through life together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you told us life would be hard. You told us we would face trials. You had told us that there would be days where we'd have to pick up our crosses and follow you. And that is hard. Lord, I know when I said yes to you, that hard stuff, that wasn't on the front of my mind. I thought about the benefits. I thought about the blessings. But Lord, we thank you 
that one you've promised to be with us through it. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to comfort us, to encourage us, to remind us of who you are and what you've promised as a down payment of our future inheritance. And Lord, we thank you that one day you have promised to make all of creation new. That one day we will enjoy you and the beauty of your world without sin, without suffering, without sickness, disease, and even death will disappear. Lord, I pray that that promise, that vision, that story that that promises to end so beautifully, that we would live in it, that we would believe it, that we would cling to it, and that no matter what we're going through, Lord, we would have hope, that we would endure. Thank you that we are your sons and daughters. Thank you for the inheritance that you have promised and planned for us. Lord, I pray particularly for those in this room who are really struggling right now. Meet us, Lord. Let us bring a taste of your heaven, of your love, your presence to one another this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.